Good morning, good morning. Thank you so much for joining me. This is the podcast God's Holy Word. I'm your lovely host Leslie Sullivan, and today is episode 69, and we are going to look at chapter 13 of Exodus. And again, I'm going to be reading from the Amplified Bible. Excuse me, kind of the hiccups a little bit this morning. So again, I'm going to be reading Exodus chapter 13, and it is from the Amplified Bible. So let's go ahead and take a look at this. So this is in the Old Testament, and it is talking about the Israelites, aka the Hebrews, leaving Egypt, and God is establishing a covenant with them. But He's also reinforcing the covenant, the covenant, excuse me, that He already made with Abraham, who is their their father, their spiritual father. So they are the descendants of Abraham, and they are leaving slavery because God defeated Pharaoh for them because He loves them very much, and God always keeps His word. So let's go ahead and dive into this puppy here. So it says, "The Lord spoke to Moses." I love that. So just remember that the Lord does speak to us. We are His creation. We are not orphans. We are not abandoned. He loves us very much, and He speaks to us. Sometimes it is audible. For me personally, most of the time, He's speaking to my heart. He's speaking to me. I guess you could say via the Holy Spirit, and I will feel His presence. And it's one of those things that I can feel his presence in my thoughts. I love that. It's kind of one of those things when you feel like you have deja vu, or maybe a thought came to you, and you're like, "Wait a second, I know that didn't come from me." Because, you know, say for example, I'm I'm baking cookies, and out of nowhere, I get a thought to invent some some type of engineering equipment or something. I'm not an engineer, and I know absolutely nothing about engineering, but sometimes God wants us to take. Big leaps of faith, and to take big steps. You know, we do take baby steps, and that's great. It's always good to take a step forward. But sometimes God will drop something in our heart or in our mind and say, "Hey, you may not think you're qualified for this, but you actually are." So that's one of those things how you know when God gives you an idea, or He is guiding you. So that's an important thing there. So it says, "The Lord spoke to Moses, saying." Sanctify to me that is set apart for my purpose every firstborn, the first offspring of every womb among the children of Israel, both of man and of animal. It is mine. So this is very interesting here because this is one of the first times I well no it's not one of the first times but this is an example of tithing, where God gets the the first piece of everything. Tithing actually occurred back in Genesis. You know, for example, when you had Cain and Abel, and you know, one son brought the the best part of his first ten percent, and the other son did not. So that is one of the first examples of tithing. This is another example of tithing. So he he is setting up his covenant, saying, "Hey, you need to honor me with your tithe." And see, here's the thing: the reason why he's saying that you need to set apart the firstborn. Is not only to set up the purpose of the tithe, but also to remind his people that he was the one who saved them. You know, it's one of those things. Sometimes we forget the kind things that people do for us, and even worse, sometimes we forget the really nice things and the really miraculous things that God does for us. He is establishing his covenant with his people, and one of the ways that you remember what God did for you is with the tithe. Because everything we have is from God anyway, because He blesses us with everything that we need. Very important. There、It、goes on to say, Moses said to the people, "Remember solemnly, observe, and commemorate this day on which you came out of Egypt, out of the house of bondage and slavery. For by a strong and powerful hand the Lord brought you out of this place, and nothing leavened shall be eaten. On this day in the month of Abib." You are about to go onward. So what's interesting here is that Moses is telling the people this needs to be remembered. You must never forget the good things that God has done for you. It's the same thing today in our lives. You know, just because you know the Bible is not being rewritten anymore and no more books are being added to it, because that would also be heresy and a sin. But here's the thing: the document of the Holy Bible is not old. It is a living. Breathing words. So even though it does go back thousands of years and many, many, many generations, it is still something that we are supposed to remember, and we are supposed to activate God's holy word in our lives on a daily basis, not a weekly, monthly, or yearly basis. I remember when I was Catholic, there were people that the only time they went to church was once a year, and that was just to fulfill their their supposed holy mass obligation. I'm like, well, you totally missed the mark in every area of your life if you think that. 
you know, going to mass once a year is going to cover all your sins and it's going to cover all this stuff. You know, here's the thing. If all you're doing is going to church just to, you know, check mark it off on your list of being a Christian or a believer, then you've totally missed the point of going to church. You've totally missed the point of having fellowship with God. It's not about a to-do list. It's about a I am list. The great I am, which is our heavenly father, is calling you to his family. So it's one of those things that if God is calling you and he calls all of us as children, that's not a to-do list. So it it it's not really good for any of us to just view God as just another item on our list to do and oh I I've satisfied that requirement for a year, a month, a week, whatever. You know, God is not a requirement like like if you're trying to get into college or maybe graduate school or maybe medical school, like God is not something as I don't want to say meaningless but as um not as important as like a GPA or something. And a GPA is important, but in regards to your soul, you, you know, a GPA is is not that big of a deal. Your soul, your life, your happiness is more important than everything else on the face of this earth. So why would you try and devalue God or devalue your relationship with God by just using him as a check mark just to fulfill, "Hey, I'm actually doing something." It's just like a professional paper pusher. You know, just because someone has a lot of papers on their desk, that doesn't mean that they actually know what they're doing. Big difference there. It goes on to say, and it shall be when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Amorite, the Hivite, and the Jebusite, which He swore to your fathers to give you a land of abundance, flowing with milk and honey, that you shall keep and observe this right, this service in this month. Notice that God is keeping His promise to His people. Even though there are people near the promised land and are in the promised land, God's going to move those people out of the way and give that land to the Israelites because he made a promise to them. God always keeps his promises. He always follows through. For 7 days you shall eat unleavened bread, and on the 7th day there shall be a feast to the Lord. Unleavened bread shall be eaten throughout the 7 days. No leavened bread shall be seen with you. nor shall there be leaven within the borders of your territory. It's very interesting. We need to be careful just in general what we allow into our house and what we consume. You know, this is being very specific in terms of what the Israelites are to eat and not eat because this is out of remembrance. I'm talking about in a general sense. You know, there was a really good uh sermon by Pastor Joel Olstein where he said if there's anything in your house You know, maybe a gift that someone gave you. If it doesn't bring you happiness, donate it or throw it in the trash. Because there's something there that is giving you negative energy. You need to be careful what you bring into your house and what you allow into your house. It's the same principle here. God wants to make sure that he is establishing his holy and good covenant with his people, but he has to set the framework first. You know, to build a house, you don't put the roof on first. You build a solid foundation. That's what our Lord is doing here. He is building a solid foundation for his people and with his people. But also they have to be willing to do it. Otherwise they will not have a foundation at all, much less a firm one. You know, so those things, you know, you know, as Christians, you know, we can believe in God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, but if we don't practice our faith and if we don't walk in our faith, Then, then what's the point of being a Christian? You know what I mean? Like, I can't tell you how many times I've worked with people that claim to be Christians, but they're committing adultery, they're stealing from the company, they're lying, cheating, stealing. I mean, they're just horrible people. And I just think it's really sad because if someone actually valued their relationship with God and actually really honored and acknowledged everything that God has done for them. They wouldn't do those sins. They wouldn't commit those those crimes. They wouldn't do it because they would not want to do anything that separates themselves from their heavenly Father. But you see, here's the thing: if you don't have a firm foundation, then it's not going to matter how nice the roof is, the door, the windows, the paint, the wallpaper. It, it, it's going to be, you know, like the guy that builds his house, you know, on the sand. It's not going to mean anything. But if you build your house on the rock. and that's the rock of Jesus Christ 
you will stand firm and you will have a good life. But if you don't believe in that, it makes it very difficult for any of anything good to come to pass in your life for sure. Goes on to say, you shall explain this to your son on that day saying, it is because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. This is a very good teaching moment for parents and for children and here's why. I think one of the biggest problems we have in our society at least here in the United States is that parents are not teaching their children how to walk with Christ, much less to believe in Jesus Christ. I think that's very sad. It's like we have extremes here in the United States. It's like we have these ex- you know extreme uh Bible belt, Bible thumper um Christians which it's not even Christian to be extreme like that because they're usually cults. Then you go to the other side of the extreme, oh we're atheists or agnostics or we're spiritual. Well, we need to go to the middle because that's where Jesus is. Jesus doesn't like or approve of extreme religion. Religion was invented by mankind to dominate other people. You know, Christianity is is not it's not a religion in the typical sense. It's actually the one true faith. Because God's laws are true, his word is true. And I find that a lot of parents they're they're so defiant against what bad Christians have done in the past that they're throwing everything out the window. Don't throw everything out the window, especially when raising your children. Only throw out the bad stuff. Keep the good stuff, throw out the bad the bad stuff. What I was going to say was that there's a saying that you don't throw out the baby with the bathwater. Very true statement. Goes on to say, it shall serve as a sign to you on your hand, your arm, as a reminder on your forehead, so that the instruction of the law of the Lord may be in your mouth. For with a strong and powerful hand, the Lord brought you out of Egypt. Therefore, you shall keep this ordinance at this time from year to year. You know, God is very specific about days, weeks, months, years. You have to remember that God created the calendar. He created the seasons. He created everything. You know, there may be some people that that think that you know maybe the Aztecs or the Incas or these ancient civilizations that they invented the calendar. They did not. <laughs> they did not. They were pagan cultures that murdered people and sometimes practiced cannibalism. It was so grotesque. They did not invent the calendar. They just had a different way of keeping time. So, you know, just be aware that just because something is ancient does not mean it's the correct way to live. Like we should never be taking advice from pagans. We should never be looking to pagan cultures and think, "Oh, they really knew how to live." Really? Why don't you say that to their enemies or their people that they murdered and tortured and slaughtered? You know, here's here's one thing that I wish more people knew or understood. One of the ways that other doctrines and religions especially cults and pagan religions one way that they make it seem like they are a normal faith or a normal religion is they take something out of Christianity they snatch it they steal it maybe just one or two things they incorporate it into their way of thinking into their indoctrination just so that it looks like what they're doing is okay and normal here's the thing you have to look at everything that a group of people are doing in order to recognize hey is this good or bad see in christianity there's nothing bad in it why because god is good you know later on in the old testament we're going to see just how much god cannot stand pagan religions or pagan cultures because they destroy the human race and what people often forget pagan religions and pagan cultures often practice horrific forms of birth control aka eugenics one of the ways they practiced that was they killed their children their own children specifically they would they would practice idol worship and they would slaughter their children and offer them up to these false gods
It wasn't just to appease the gods. It was also because they didn't want a bunch of children. How is that any different than what's going on with um, abortion? Especially up until like nine months. You know, just because someone's not practicing a pagan religion, that doesn't mean it's okay for them to get rid of a child. Because it is still eugenics. That's why it's very important for Christians to stand firm and to say, you know, we are not going to practice anything that is pagan. Regardless of how alluring it is, regardless of how scientific it may seem, regardless of how humanitarian it may seem. Because there are so many people that think that, well, you know, if a woman is raped and she gets pregnant, the right thing to do is to abort the baby. Well, did anyone ask the kid? No. And there were some that would say, well, do you want the woman to suffer? No, of course you don't, but that doesn't give you permission to take that child's life. And then there are some that will say, well, you know, do you want that child to grow up knowing they were the result of a rape? Well, here's an idea. Don't tell them about it. Or maybe adopt the child out. And if you do tell them, just say, hey, this is what happened. This is what happened. But you are still a child of God. God loves you. Don't ever think that, that you are less than somebody else. See, the worst thing you can do is to fall into these traps of excusing abortion. See, because here's the thing. Whenever you open that Pandora's box of allowing one type of killing, it leads to a snowball effect of other types of killing being allowed, which is why there are some people, especially in the far left, in terms of socialism, fascism, communism, and liberalism, that they think it's okay to abort a child even up until the moment they're born. Well, have you ever thought about like how a doctor that's supposed to preserve and protect life, how, you know, if they are to perform an abortion on, on a baby that's just born, how do they do that? It's very grotesque. Like, I don't know how a doctor can do that. It, it's just bizarre. You, you know what's kind of hypocritical about uh, some abortion laws is that, you know, they get permission for doctors to, to kill babies, like up until nine months, sometimes up until like right when they're born. But yet if a woman gives birth at home and then the boyfriend or somebody kills that baby, it's considered murder. It's considered capital punishment. And the person that killed that baby goes to jail and or gets put on death row. But yet an abortionist does not. See, in order to kill a little baby like that, typically they have to snap its neck or they crack its skull with a hammer and they suck the brains out. Now, I understand that's really gross to say that, but it's the truth. Like, can you imagine... a medical doctor performing that kind of procedure over and over and over and over and over again and getting really good at killing how's that any different than what the nazis did during world war 2 i mean they 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 tortured people even children especially twins they did uh, horrific medical experiments on twins So here's the thing. My point is this, if you open the floodgates to one type of evil, you're technically opening the floodgate to all types of evil because whatever you tolerate is what you allow to contaminate. This is why God is setting a foundation and establishing a new covenant and reinforcing the old covenant with his people because he doesn't want them to fall into the trap of following these these pagan religions or these gods. that they are surrounded by in these areas once they once they leave Egypt and they have to go into the promised land God wants to make sure that his people are protected but if you just open the floodgate to anything you're asking for trouble with that because it's not the right thing to do it's actually very concerning goes on to say now it shall be when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanite as he swore to you and your fathers and gives it to you 
You shall set apart and dedicate to the Lord all the first all that sorry excuse me all that first opens the womb all the firstborn males of your livestock shall be the Lord's every firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem by substituting a lamb as a sacrifice for it but if you do not wish to redeem it then you shall break its neck and every firstborn among your sons you shall redeem that is buy back from God with a suitable sacrifice And it shall be when your sons ask you in time to come saying what does this mean? You shall say to him with a strong and powerful hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt from the house of bondage and slavery. For it happened when Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go that the Lord struck every firstborn in the land of Egypt both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of animal. Therefore I sacrifice to the Lord all the males the first to be born of every womb but every firstborn of my sons I redeem so so it shall serve as a sign and a reminder on your left hand your left arm and as frontlets between your eyes for by a strong and powerful hand the lord brought us out of egypt so again they they're reminding their children of the good things that god did for them that's very important don't ever forget the good things that god has done for you goes on to say So it happened when Pharaoh let the people go God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines even though it was nearer for God said the people might change their minds when they see war that is that there will be war and return to Egypt so he did not want his people to get scared and go back to Egypt He was trying to make it easy for them because he knew that they were it's not that they were mentally weak they were mentally exhausted because you know his people had been in slavery for 430 years so that's all they knew was slavery generation after generation after generation sometimes it takes a while to break a negative mindset goes on to say but god led the people around by the way of the wilderness towards the red sea the sons of israel went up in battle array orderly ranks marching formation out of the land of egypt So no they were not haphazard about how they were leaving their enemy. So whenever you're leaving your enemy, hold your head up high, shoulders back. Don't ever cower and whimper because if God be for you, who dare be against you? Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for Joseph had solemnly ordered placed under an oath the Israelites saying, "God will assuredly take care of you, and you must carry my bones away from here with you." Now if you remember Joseph was once prime minister of Egypt. He was the one that was basically the spoiled rotten little kid in a family. He was the youngest son who had the real pretty coat and he would brag to his brothers about his dreams and his coat. Well, his brothers were going to kill him, but they decided to sell him into slavery and Joseph ended up being sold to a man in Egypt. He became a servant and then They uh I think his his name was Potiphar his his owner's name Potiphar's wife falsely accused him of attempted rape Joseph was put in jail he stayed in jail for several years he eventually was released because he was able to interpret dreams and God always showed Joseph favor and so the pharaoh was having these disturbing dreams and he said I need someone to tell me what is going on with these dreams Well none of his magicians or 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 wisdom type people could tell him what was going on his advisors. So a cupbearer said, "Hey, I know this guy from prison. Is he the cupbearer or the baker? I can't remember which one." There was the pharaoh's cupbearer, cupbearer and baker that were thrown to prison. One of them was killed or executed, the other one was not. He said, "Hey, I know this guy in prison. His name is Joseph. He interpreted dreams and they all came to pass. You should ask him." So Pharaoh sent for him and he realized that God was with Joseph and so Pharaoh took Joseph out of prison and set him as prime minister right below Pharaoh and put him in charge of all of the land of Egypt. But unfortunately at some point in time a pharaoh came to power that totally forgot about Joseph. And this bad pharaoh realized that hey there's a lot of a lot of Hebrews a lot of Israelites here. You know there are more of them than there are Egyptians. You know we should take them over and enslave them and so that's what happened. So Joseph was already dead. 
But Joseph said, hey, basically, I know I am in Egypt and I'm doing really well here. But whenever the Israelites are, are freed from Egypt and whenever we go back to our land, take my bones with you. Because he wants to be at this people. That's what this is referring to when he's saying, God will assuredly take care of you. And you must carry my bones away from here with you. He didn't want to be left in pagan Egypt. He wanted to go with his people. Goes on to say, they journeyed from Succoth and Goshen and camped at Etham at the edge of the wilderness. The presence of the Lord was going before them by day in a pillar or column of cloud to lead them along the way and by a pillar of fire by night to give them light so that they could travel by day and by night. How powerful is that? Not only did God create the sun and the moon and the stars, but he is also guiding his people out of Egypt. He's giving them a daylight and a nightlight besides the sun and the moon. How beautiful is that? He's protecting them. And he's letting them know, hey, I'm here with you always. So they, could, they knew and they saw God's presence was there all times. How amazing is that? It goes on to say, he did not withdraw the pillar of cloud by day, nor the pillar of fire by night from going before the people. So God was always with the Israelites. Always. They could feel his presence. They knew he was there. They saw him. They needed that protection because he knew they were scared. Because all they've known is slavery. All they've ever known is the taskmaster's whip. All they've ever known is the cruelty of a pharaoh. Which is why he wanted to make sure that his people knew, hey, I'm your heavenly father. I guard and I protect you day and night. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. You are not orphans. You are my children. You are my sons and daughters. I love you very much. That's why he's guiding them. That's why he always has a presence there with them at all times. I think that shows the loving kindness and the mercy and the gentleness of our Heavenly Father. Because, yes, our Heavenly Father destroyed Pharaoh's land, um, quite a few of his people and their livestock, but he did not destroy the Israelites. He loved them very much. Now, mind you, later on in the book of Exodus, we will see God get a little irritated with Israelites, but only because they turned against God, they complained against Moses, and some of them... return to idolatry and, and here's one thing what's really insulting to God with that is the Israelites did not practice idolatry in Egypt because they were praying for a deliverer they were praying for God to release them from bondage to get them away from Pharaoh so what's sad is that they get frustrated out the desert and later on we will see this they get frustrated with God and with Moses and instead of turning to God They have a golden calf made, which they never did in Egypt. They never worshipped other gods in Egypt. Never. They only worshipped the God of Abraham. But for some stupid reason, when they're out in the desert and they get a little frustrated, they turn away from God and they make a golden calf and they start to worship it, even though they had never done that before. They never did that in Egypt. All they ever did was worship their Heavenly Father. Even when they were not allowed to worship him, they still worshiped him. See, that's how, that's how the devil works. He likes to break us down, wear us down, wear us down. And it's typically when we're angry, hungry, frustrated, you know, just down our luck kind of thing. It's usually when we're really frustrated that, that sometimes we turn to things that we would never turn to for help or just to relieve stress. Well, that's, that's not what we're supposed to do if we are true believers of Christ Jesus. We are always supposed to turn to God. I wonder how different this story would be and the history of our faith would be if the Israelites had never turned away from God and if they had never worshipped other idols. Never. Or never worshipped any idol. I just wonder... What, what the history of mankind would be, how different it would be if they had never turned away from God. God knows they're frustrated. He knows they're not sure what to do. But here's the thing. They knew that God is all-powerful, 
So why didn't they just go to God or go to Moses and ask Moses to ask God, "Hey, we're really frustrated. You know, we love you, but we're frustrated. You know, here here's our complaint or our issue or our concern. Can you guide us in this?" You know, there's a difference between saying, "Hey, I don't get it. I don't understand it. Help me understand," as opposed to, "I don't get it. I understand it. I'm completely turning away and I'm going to do what I want to do. I don't care what the consequences are." There are two totally different ways of thinking on that. And the correct thinking is, yes, I'm frustrated. Yes, I don't know what to do. But yes, my God always knows what to do. God help me with this. What do you think I should do? How should I handle this? God always answers prayer. He always cares for and answers to his not to his people, but he answers his people. You know, the Israelites, I can understand why they would be frustrated, but I do not understand why they ever built a, a, a golden calf. I don't get that. I mean, I just, I mean, I, I don't understand their thinking. It just kind of takes me aback. I mean, I've read this, I've read the Bible so many times, but it's one of those things that I just wonder, okay, did they think that God wouldn't notice that? He wouldn't see that? and it wouldn't anger him. I mean, they know God's anger. They saw his anger in Egypt. They saw all the plagues that he put upon Egypt and Pharaoh. Like, did they think that they could just do whatever they wanted whenever they wanted and, and not have any kind of repercussion whatsoever? I mean, it just it's always kind of bamboozled me a little bit. But if anything I think this is a excellent example of how much God loves his children because he never left them. And yes, they will disappoint him. Just like we disappoint Jesus. But you know what's interesting is that we can always go back to our heavenly father, always always always. Like we we may not be building a golden calf, but if ever we are turning away from God, How is that different than what the Israelites did whenever they they fell away from God? Don't fall away from God. Don't walk away from God. Don't run from God. Run to Him. Give God a chance to embrace you. Give God a chance to speak to you. God loves to have fellowship with his children. He loves his children. And that's what we are. We are his children. You know, sometimes as, as adults, we tend to think, "Oh, we're adults. We should have everything figured out. I'm not going to ask questions." Just the opposite with God. You may feel that way at work, and I understand that. You know, I can always tell whenever a manager is lying because they'll say, "Oh, well, you can ask any question you want. There, there is there's no such thing as a stupid question." We all know that's not true. And number 2, we all know exactly where their mindset is. They already think everybody is stupid except for them. Why else would they say that? You know, my favorite type of manager is one that they don't have to say, "Oh, ask any question you want. Nothing is stupid." My favorite manager is one that you just know from who they are and how they how they act, how they behave, how kind they are that you you already know just from their temperament and their personality and from the kindness of their heart that you can ask whatever you need to ask and not feel shame. I can't tell you how many times I have been in meetings and I'm the only one that asks a question. And I don't care how I look. If I need to ask a question, I'm going to ask it. And I can't tell you how many times people have laughed at me, scoffed at me, mocked me, made fun of me. I'm like, "Oh, so basically I asked the question that you didn't have the you didn't have the courage to ask." That's what that tells me, and that shuts them up pretty quick. Cuz I know that typically if I'm thinking a question, if I'm thinking of something, there's probably at least one or two other people that are thinking the exact same thing, but they don't have the courage to ask it or to say it. To me that gets really old, but you know, at this point in my life and I'm only 
I've learned that I don't care what other people think. If I need to know the answer to something, I'm going to ask it. Even if it's just something, you know, a simple task or something. Here's the thing, you know, one thing that has always kind of bothered me is when you have a manager, but then we'll have to be working with another department and the other manager from the other department does not see eye to eye with our manager so then it's like we're trying to take orders from two different people because that's exactly what we're doing but we're working on the same project see there's already divisiveness there we see God's not like that because we have God the Father God the Son God the Holy Spirit we have one God three persons you know the Father the Son the Holy Spirit they're not fighting amongst each other You're not going to get one answer over here, another answer here, and then another answer over there. Like there's not going to be this conflict. There is no conflict within God. None. All conflict and confusion comes from the enemy. Please recognize that. So if you're feeling weak, vulnerable, afraid, hungry, frustrated, angry, whatever the case may be, just know be aware the devil's trying to set you up for something so in every instance go to your heavenly father don't just don't just be like oh i got this i don't need god you know there's a difference between knowing what to do because you've gone through something like that before and god guides you through that situation so you already know what to do it's completely different when you've never gone through something like that before and you're just making it up on the fly always go to your heavenly father with stuff You know, I can't tell you how many times I've gone to God and I thought, well, I know what to do, but I'll ask God. His way was far better than mine. His idea was better. How to do it was better. The outcome was way easier. Just greatly good. I don't know how else to describe it. And I thought, you know, I know that God made me to be very capable He made me he made me very smart and intelligent but I never take for granted my relationship with God because he has wisdom I ask for wisdom all the time You know I may think I know what I'm doing but here's the thing God doesn't think he knows what he's doing he knows he knows what he's doing there's a difference and God knows everything you know let's say for example I know how to complete the, this project or something. Well, I may not be aware of something else that someone else is doing, maybe with a ulterior motive that's not very positive. Well, God knows what that person is doing. He knows everything. So, whenever you go to God in prayer, even though you might already have an idea of how to do something, God might drive uh, sorry, drop an even better idea in your heart. just so that you can avoid this conflict with this other person that has an ulterior motive that does not have your best interest at heart. That's why we go to our heavenly father because he knows all, he sees all. It never hurts to get the best opinion on the face of this earth and that is from our heavenly father. So if anything from the Israelites I definitely have learned, hey, it's okay to get frustrated, but it's not okay to act out in that frustration. It's not okay to doubt God. It's not okay to, to just make stuff up on the fly. Because God calls us to excellence. Even though we may be leaving a really tough situation and we're going towards our promised land, that doesn't give us permission to just do whatever we want whenever we want however we want that that's not how faith works and that's not how god's laws work and that's also not how the laws of the land work see you know what really frustrated me and I'll close with this what really frustrated me in college is that you know yeah there were a lot of hot guys very good looking guys in college but hardly any of them were christian They were immoral, amoral, atheist, agnostic. Some of them were Christian, claimed to be Christian, but they were immoral or amoral or just weak-minded people because they didn't practice their faith. That got so old. It made it very difficult to date. 
Because I thought, okay, are they just telling me what I want to hear because they want to get laid? Excuse my language. And it's just like, you know, I kind of feel like there are people that view college as a time to sow their oats and just drink a lot, have a lot of sex, you know, do all the drugs, basically just live out all your fantasies before you get married. That goes directly against God's law and it's also it goes against just the the laws and the norms of a good wholesome society. You know, whenever I meet guys these days that are, that are in their 30s, 40s or 50s or whatever, whenever I find out that you know, they've really lived it up in a really grotesque way in their 20s, I am immediately not attracted to them anymore because I know that behavior is a character flaw that is going to manifest itself for a long time if they have not given their life to Christ and if they have not repented of that. You know, there was one guy I worked for. He he was a dirty old man. He's probably like 35 to 40 years older than me. We were having lunch. It was me, this other woman I worked with, and the owner. He actually talked about his sexual conquest right in front of us. It was so sick and disturbing. He was talking about how he started having sex when he was a teenager. and our mouths just dropped because it's not appropriate and this was in a very professional quote unquote office or whatever it was just so disturbing and i've never forgotten that and i was just uh i just couldn't stand working with him i loved i loved the work the work was awesome the job did not work out cuz i couldn't take working with someone like that But every chance he got, he would try and touch my body or the other woman's body, whether it was our hand, our hip, our hair. I mean, he he would critique my body and my hair. If he didn't like my hair or how I looked, he would tell me, "Oh, you just look like an old woman. Is that what you want to look like? Why don't you change?" It was so mean. He basically wanted these little sex objects. around his office and he's married has two kids i think both his kids are screwed up i'm not surprised but what's interesting is that even though he was in like his 60s or 70s he's probably in his 70s now even as a dirty old man he was still trying to act like what he was when he's a teenager but yet he has a business and you know I have no idea and I don't care if he ever commit adultery on his wife but it was not uncommon for him to behave inappropriately with his female clients it didn't matter what age they were if they were 18 or 72 all he ever thought about was sex and here's why it's because he started participating in a very unnatural sex drive for a young man when he was a teenager There's nothing wrong with sex and being attracted to the opposite sex and wanting to have sex, but you need to preserve that desire for when you're married. And this goes for both men and women. See, it kind of reminds me of whenever guys when they are obsessed with pornography. That is not real love making. Like that there is no love in pornography whatsoever. It's just people using someone else's body. Whether it's gay or straight sex, it's someone being used and abused. It's wrong. It's filthy. It's grotesque. It's disgusting. It goes against God's law. It goes against the moral code of our society. You know, there are so many marriages that fail. because of pornography. And it's usually the husband getting involved in pornography and just watching it or viewing it or maybe purchasing magazines or whatever the case may be. And then whatever kind of sex he has with his wife, it's not satisfying to him because he lives in a fantasy. 
fantasies are not real and they will never fully satisfy you. Well, what's sad is that there are these wives that are married to guys that are obsessed with porn and the sex is awful, even for the woman it's awful because the guy keeps thinking about, you know, these young women who knows who knows if they're even at the age of 18. A lot of them are minors in these sex videos, which is why it's so grotesque as well. They're in the sex trade. It's sex trafficking. It's horrible. But these men are fantasizing about these young women, usually minors. And then they see their wife, who's maybe around their age, and they're like, "Oh, well, I don't want this. I don't want this old bag." See, that is degradation to his wife. That is horrible. I saw that same kind of oh you're just looking like an old bag kind of attitude in this dirty old man and I I'm in my 30s. And I was in my 30s when this happened. When I worked for this creep. As like wow, it was so shocking to me. You know, it's interesting is that I can always tell when a guy is too sexualized, like over sexualized I guess you could say, because they will critique my body they won't be listening to what i'm saying but they'll say oh we want your hair down we want you to wear this kind of makeup you need to wear a tighter skirt you need to be shorter you need to wear heels you know this is not the 1950s and even then that's a prostitute you know women don't have to wear makeup or heels or short skirts to be feminine and to be beautiful You know what I've learned about men over the years? Whenever a guy hits on me when I don't have my makeup on, that tells me he really thinks I'm beautiful. Because if he thinks I'm pretty without makeup on, oh, he should wait till I put on my awesome makeup. <laughs> The kind that's like for special occasions. But what I can't stand is whenever a guy sees me with like my really awesome makeup on, just flawless And then we go swimming or something and he sees me without my awesome makeup on and then it's like he doesn't want to see me anymore. And I'm just like, I am still the same person. I'm not ugly. You know, it's just like you got to be kidding me here. You know, it's interesting is that women, a lot of us, we lower our standards, a lot of us do, whenever we're dating guys because, you know, guys, they're not really the kind to to take care of themselves. you know with the same integrity as women are there's just kind of this i don't know natural slob mentality with men sometimes and it's like uh really like shave bathe wear deodorant wear cologne do your laundry don't live like a pig don't eat like a pig you know like There's so many things that are not attractive to women, but yet sometimes we settle for less than God's best because we're like, well, am I really going to find what I want? And here's the thing, yes you will. You need to take it up with God. Like I can't tell you how many gross men have hit on me, and I'm just like, what in the world are they thinking? Do they actually think they have a chance? Like they are just so grotesque. There are some really hot ones that hit on me too. but we're just not always a match because it depends on what they believe in and if they actually have good moral character but here's the thing I'm telling you if you're a woman do not waste your time well let me put this way if you're a woman and you're not married do not waste your time on men that degrade women do not waste your time on men that that are obsessed with sex they are they are they are obsessed with men or sorry women wearing makeup It's just ridiculous. Let me tell you this. If it's not completely pleasant when you're dating, just imagine what it's going to be like when you're married. Dating should be fun. It shouldn't be stressful at all. It should be fun. It should be a joy. You know what? Marriage should be the same thing, but marriage is a little more difficult. Now, if you're a guy, you need to find a woman that you actually are in love with, not that you're just sexually attracted to. but you need to find a woman that you actually love and adore. And I would say for both men and women, you need to make a list of the things that you're looking for in a spouse. 
whether it's physical, spiritual, financial, whatever the case may be, because all those things matter. Just make a list. Lord, this is what I'm looking for in a spouse. Please help me find them or help them find me, whatever the case may be. Help me find this person. Help them find me. And then help us have a beautiful, wonderful marriage and beautiful, wonderful children. God wants to hear from you. See, because here's the thing. If you act like the Israelites are going to act here in the next few chapters or whatever, you will get frustrated with your singleness or you're not dating the person of your dreams and then you'll probably get involved in a cheating situation. You might cheat on the person you're dating or you might get involved in pornography or you might just be really mean to the person you're dating or you might become a mean, bitter single person. Instead of doing all of that, go to God with your prayer request and just know that it was answered the moment you prayed it. So you have nothing to worry about. I guess what I'm trying to say is the devil loves to target people that are weak, frustrated, and not sure what to do. But when you go to your heavenly father, you're no longer weak, frustrated, and you will always know what to do because your heavenly father knows exactly what you need to do and he will convey that to you. He will speak to you every single time. He will guide you through it no matter what. You know, most of my experiences of frustration have been with work and dating. <laughs> It's been strange. But that's everyday life. But I've learned that, you know, just when I think I understand something, I get thrown for a loop. That's why I pray so much about stuff. That that's why that's why I go to my heavenly father with everything because I know that he answers all prayers even if he doesn't answer it the way that I would have answered it I know that his answer is way better and far better than mine God will bless you if you give him a chance but if you don't give him a chance you're basically tying his hands so that he can't do anything because God cannot reward sin He just can't. Take a leap of faith and give God a chance. I guarantee you, he will help you. And that's not that's not just coming from me, that's coming from God's holy word because all of God's holy word is a promise from God to mankind. And it is one of the most beautiful promises on the face of this earth because God created this earth. He created the galaxies. He created the solar system. He created all of it. What makes you think he can't handle any and all of your problems? You are in the palm of God's hand. He's not going to squash you like a bug, although that's what Baptists and Church of Christ and Catholics will tell you and other you know cult like religions will tell you whenever they say oh god is bad or he's trying to kill you he's trying to bump you off or you know fickle finger fate kind of thing no to be in the palm of god's hand is a form of love not hate the enemy wants you to think that well if you're in the palm of god's hand he must be trying to get rid of you that's not true god loves to protect and guard his children he does this every day not because he has to but because he wants to because we are his children regardless of our age i don't care if you're 102 you may be an older adult at age 102 but you are still a child of god so if there's anyone listening to this podcast and maybe you're in hospice or or in a nursing home you don't have to be there You can walk out of there completely healed and restored. Go to your heavenly father with your prayers, with your concerns. God loves to do miracles even to this day. We serve and worship a miracle-working, wonderful God. 
God provided signs, wonders, and miracles to the Israelites. He does the exact same thing for us. But if all you ever listen to is CNN, MSNBC, Fox News, I mean just all the garbage on TV, guess what? If all you listen to is garbage, all you're going to get is garbage. It's not going to be the goodness of God. So if you have a choice, which you do have a choice, choose God, not garbage. And choose him every day. Every day, no matter what. Because it is a choice. You know, every single one of us should choose God because he chose us. But get this, God chose us before we were even born. How amazingly beautiful is that? Don't throw that away. Hold on to that. Hold fast to it. God's love is for you and the blessing of Abraham is for you. I will go ahead and end this podcast but as usual until next time. I pray that you're happy, healthy and whole. That you have a wonderful day and a wonderful week. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Still